In the Wild West world of podcasting, there is one podcast that is authentic and genuine and continues to stand tall in its originality. Based on a passion for his guests, their work, and his love of podcasting, Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast get amazing, diverse, unique guests found nowhere else. The variety and quality are endless. There is something for everyone. Derek Thomas is the hero you deserve. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas. I didn't hurt you. Hi. <laughs> All right, your mother's waiting for you. She's right down here on the end of the bridge. Okay, you go home. Okay. Where are you going? I'm going home too. I'm going to Blue Bayou. <laughs> oh, hey. I got something for you. I got the last number too. I love you crazy. You love me, don't you? Yes, I do. Well, I'm happy to go. Go Dicen nada y al mismo tiempo lo esconde todo, igual que el viento que esconde el agua. Hi, Rada, how are you? Hi, good, how are you? Very nice to finally speak to you. And you? 
I've waited about 23 years to speak with you, so I would say it's slightly over a while. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Um, I really enjoy the uh, rapport that you have with Craig Ferguson over those five appearances. I feel like it was just such a wonderful thing to watch. You know, when late night TV wasn't about politics, it wasn't about all. It was just about making somebody laugh. Uh, Whatever you wanted to say about Craig Ferguson, because they were really enjoyable appearances. I think everyone had a great time on his show because he's just sort of stream of consciousness um, and he's got a very kind of eclectic brain. So people can just sort of say whatever comes to mind. <laughs> and he, yeah. he doesn't filter it. So it can be quite um, outrageous and quite surreal and quite silly. Um, and I think you get a real sense of the people because of that. They, they don't have to like filter what they're saying. They don't have to be too self-conscious. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, for, so for me, when I stay up to 11 or 12, I know the next day is going to be tough. Right. But like, I want to make sure when I watch late night TV that I see something that's enjoyable, that makes me laugh. And that's kind of what you and Craig had. I felt like it was just, yeah. a nice, no, you know? I think at that time of night, you know, you know, you've done all your thinking, you know? Yes. So yes. you just want to kind of be entertained and um, you know, he's an, you know, he's got an amazing intellect, but he's got a real comedic sense and I think that's what you see in, in the interviews that he conducts. And, and you know, when I'm looking at your uh, filmography, Rada, it's it's a really impressive filmography. Not in the sense, well, in the sense that you've done it for so long, but also in the sense that you've always been been an active actor. But I feel like you've always been at the top of the call sheet. I feel like it's, and that I feel like is a big thing with acting, right? I mean, it's tough to get work, but it's another thing to get work at and lead the way. I, I don't know. I just feel like that's a pretty impressive thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The whole work thing, it's, it's a bit of a vocation or, mm. you know, it can be for periods of one's life. Um, and you hope that, you know, when you're going to commit your time and, and self to something that you get to work with great people. Um, so, you know, that's, I guess the main thing and that you're telling stories that are somehow, uh, opening the envelope of, of, of the storytelling genre of storytelling, I guess, you know, if it's a genre piece that you're kind of re-exploring or kind of continuing the, the conversation there, or if it's dramatic that there's something new about the aspect of humanity that you are exploring, maybe not new, maybe a different take on things, constantly trying to like open the conversation about how we look at ourselves and how we look at culture and how we relate to each other. Yeah, and it's not like you've been stereotyped or pigeonholed into one type of role. I always feel like the eclectic nature of your work is is really something to be said. Because I'm going to focus just quickly on two movies, Man of Fire and Pitch Black. You oh, could okay. not, you could yeah. not get you could not find two different characters as far as vastly <laughs> difference in personality and in the way they were cast, right? But both yeah. very effective characters. But like, I mean, wow! I mean, what you did for each of those characters is pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, they're like, that's the cool thing. You get these invitations to, you know, have a completely different life experience, you know, in outer space or in Mexico city, both very interesting. Mm. Um, and I think, well, for me, pitch black was a big challenge. Both movies were, were challenging to me at that point in my life. Pitch black was my second American film. It was shot in Australia, but there was a real for me, there was a real budget behind it. You know, I'd have done independent films and I had thought that, you know, filmmaking was just about like 
you know, having fun on set. <laughs> so, you know, like yeah. not people hanging out. Yeah. And um, it was a bit of an eye-opener to the kind of career aspect of things and to the sort of ambition and to the, you know, just the kind of the business of things. Um, and yet, uh, you know, I also got to work with people who were super passionate. You know, Vin Diesel, it was, I think, his one of her, his first films. So he was kind of focused on where that would lead him and, you know, taught everybody on set things that he was already, you know, really into, like, you know, just his physical presence, he was really into, like, the whole bodybuilding. I hadn't ever thought about that sort of thing in my life. So that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching that movie, Rada, and I was like, when I watched that movie, when it came out, I went to see it in theaters, I feel like. Yeah. And, I, and, and I feel like I came away, you know, Vin's great, Cole Hauser is still doing great, wonderful in the movie as well. But yeah. I feel like it was your character that I came away with, like, and I'm not just saying it's because we're speaking, like, just a one, what a wonderful just performance, you know, just a, a female lead that's a badass. Like, I mean, just great. Well, I think what the question of the story, when you think about it, was sort of to do with uh, conscience, really, yeah. you know, and she was a character of conscience, although she kind of compromised that in the beginning of the story for survival. And, and, and then there's that scene at the end where he's sort of, you know, she's trying to save his life. And at one point, he's also trying to kill her. <laughs> yeah. In that moment, he, he realizes that she would sacrifice herself for these people she didn't really know. And he finds that so curious because for whatever reason, you know, just the way that he was brought into the world, he's got this sociopathic tendency and it's just about him, you know, and he kind of messes with everybody. And I think it causes him to kind of reevaluate his whole perspective on things. Um so I guess that's kind of the whole point of the movie is, you know, what motivates us and where do we have conscience and why don't we have conscience? Yeah, that's a great answer. You know, it's very similar what, what your character, um, Carolyn Fry, does in Pitch Black and what Creasy does in Man on Fire. Very similar endings with what kind of human beings they are, right? A little bit? Yeah. You're you right. Know, yeah, I was making those connections. I mean, she's like almost like a kind female of badass crazy. hero with a heart kind of thing. Yes, yeah, who's willing to give up of themselves to make to make another person kind of go, you know, live or 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 continue yeah. to be. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. I, I thought that was just a, a a wonderful thing. Um, you know, I was reading. I was reading, and I'm sorry to bounce back and forth between Man on Fire and Pitch Black, but as yeah. I was reading, I was surprised how many bodyguards were needed for the cast in Man on Fire. I feel like. Something happened with a carjacking, and Tony Scott needed one. And then, yeah, I don't know. I was like, I was like, how do you act and like do your thing, but also have a body, have like two or three bodyguards near you? That's gotta be. I mean, I guess not- there's people that do always have bodyguards. That had never been my experience, so I got to have bodyguards. And I just remember <laughs> leaving Mexico City, and there were no more bodyguards. They were gone. <laughs> I was suddenly yeah. like, yeah, oh, where's my posse? You know. Um, <laughs> Because it, you sort of get very familiar with these people that you're constantly hanging out with. Um, and there is that kind of sense of security, but also camaraderie. Uh, but in Mexico City, you know, people actually did need those bodyguards at that time. And, you know, somebody was held up. And when I was out of town, somebody stole the car at gunpoint that I was, you know, that was my car, I guess. So that was sort of that period. And we did meet people. Well, I in preparation we we met a woman who had been kidnapped and her ears had been removed and you know that was kind of a tragic story but it ended up okay um and she was a survivor and so on um so that was kind of you know a real portrayal of of the city 
and then years later I went back actually to do something with Matthew Weiner and it felt like a different city like 10 years later it felt much more more safe people seemed more secure although I did ask for a bodyguard (laughs) so traumatized from the first shoot that I was like I'm not going there without a bodyguard but I don't think I needed one at that point um it felt like it felt like a very different mood yeah, and I feel like I watch rewatch this movie and Pitch Black and a lot of your other work. The crazies. I mean, there's so much to go through. But but you know, I, I'm just gonna say, you know, that I rewatch it a lot, and I and I I cannot get through the last eight and a half minutes of Man on Fire. It's been 23 years, Rada, and I I still get like gushing emotional at that eight and a half minutes between you, Dakota, Denzel. Like, oh my god, I can't. I can never hold it together, and and I have to pinch myself. It's been over 20 years since this. Is it the ha- music or is it the acting? Because it's everything. It's 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 it's, it's the it's the haze of Tony Scott. Rest in peace. Yeah. What a wonderful director he was. And I know, um, you appreciate him even more now that he's not here. I guess. Yes. 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 And it's um, like, the, and he was a gem. Like he was kind of amazing. Out of the directors I've worked with, he he was like a magician. He was an artist. He was kind of a party guy. Like he had, he had just massive energy and. He was very collaborative and inclusive in the process and very clear in the process. Um, And he created this kind of like almost like wild, decadent feeling. I mean, granted, we were in a crazy city, so there was that feeling as well. But certainly a sense of a bigger, bigger life, you know. Uh, Would you say it's a revenge, a redemption or both movie? Revenge and redemption, you think, Rada? Well, I think the redemption is, as you sort of pointed out, that what, the ultimate redemption is to sacrifice yourself for another, isn't it? Yeah. That's sort of the most human thing you can do, I would yeah. say. Um, and, yes, it's also a revenge story. <laughs> and, and I remember you being blown away then, and I felt like I reread it again, where you were really blown away by, by Dakota's acting ability. Um, yeah. What was it that you saw? Because at that time, I mean, you were a seasoned actor when you when you took that part. I mean, you you had a lot of acting behind you. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so what was it about Dakota that really stood out for you? Well, I mean, this kid was like a genius. You know, yeah. she came to set with scrimp notes. She was extremely confident. She you know, it was just like in in the crowd of you know whatever a film set is. You know, she was very comfortable. Um, and she liked to, um, ad lib, you know, she wanted to like play. She was Mm. that kind of, she was that comfortable that she wanted to extend, extend herself creatively and like go off text and just say what she felt like, but not because she couldn't remember what she was saying, but she liked the actual, um, that space, which is the kind of the exciting space for actors to play in the unknown and to kind of not know quite what's going to happen next. And she already had that taste. Yeah, and the movie takes a different context for me because as a father of of two, soon to be two, when I think about what 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 Samuel does to his family, like I couldn't even fathom that. Like to betray your wife and and child in that manner, Rada, I I can't get over that. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess he didn't realize he thought he was gonna recoup some cash, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So and let me yeah yeah. He went yeah, yeah, and, and the last thing I will say is I have to say just the, the I I can't get over this enough is the, is the power behind a female lead in Pitch Black. I just was so blown away because I feel like it's people call it a cult movie, and I almost feel like that undermines it a little bit. I feel like it's just a we ha- we haven't ever seen anything like Pitch Black, and I feel like after Pitch Black was released, there were like twenty movies that tried so hard to be like Pitch Black, and it's just nobody ever stood up to it. I really felt like. 
Well, I think the strength of it was it was a drama in outer space, you know. Yeah. And although the situation was kind of, you know, extraordinary, um, we were committed to it in a kind of, we were kind of serious. We knew that we were playing kind of exaggerated characters, but um, there was a commitment to the truth of it, I think. Yeah. Um, that and all that conflict, you know, there, there was a sense to keep it to keep it very real, I guess. Yeah, and I and I get it's a movie and I get it's acting. I still don't understand how you're not scared of the dark after Silent Hill and Pitch Black. Like I would have like nightmares. <laughs> I don't know. And another great Silent Silent Hill, another wonderfully underrated movie that is just so appreciated yeah. by those that have seen it. Yeah, I don't know if I call them underrated. I think they're like it takes a while for people to to when something is new. It takes a while for an audience to um, to see the context in which to view it, I guess, to catch on, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like Silent Hill certainly has, you know, this legacy now. People watch it still, so they get it. Yeah. Same with Pitch Black, same with Man on Fire. I think at the time it wasn't that well-reviewed, but so many people come up to me and say this was like my favourite film. <laughs> So it's almost like if you're doing slight, something slightly outside of where people are at, it just takes a little period for them to catch on. Even Big Sur, I had Michael Polish on the show a while ago. That is a great movie, too. I mean, you have a lot yeah. of great movies in your filmography. You really do. Well, that's like a real bedtime story, isn't it? Like an yeah. adult story in the sense that it's very kind of bittersweet, I guess. But it really feels like someone's reading you a story. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. Um, What's around the corner for you, Rada, before I let you go? Thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. Um, around the corner, I just finished a film, actually, that I'm really proud of called Blueback, which was mm -hmm. set in Australia. And so a lot of it shot underwater. We were free diving. And it's sort of, I guess it exists as an anthem for the ocean, kind of environmental. It's sort of like a a fable for all ages. Uh, it's very poetic and um, it's very visual and it, it gives sort of context to that conversation, I guess, to do with what, what do we do with the sort of global warming? What do we do with all the kind of damage that's happening in the ocean and how do we stay motivated and how do we collectively act? And the movie kind of addresses those issues and without kind of giving you a sense that it's telling you anything, it leaves you with a real sense of, uh, oh, how can I participate? Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is that a theatrical release or is that? Yeah, it should be coming. It came out in Australia. It should be coming out in the U.S. Uh, this year. Oh, very cool. Months. Very cool. Rod, I am a huge fan and I have been for some time and I can't thank you enough for this time. I really appreciate well, it. Lovely to talk with you and thank you for the good vibes. Yeah, have a wonderful night. Thank you for listening to Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can also connect with Monday Morning Critic on Instagram and Facebook, MDM Critic on Twitter, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. All episodes available www.mmcpodcast.com.